Bollywood is a major film industry that heavily features song and dance. Today, we talk to our very first Bollywood artist and our second ever guest trained in Indian dance, Pooja Oberoi. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Padada, listeners. I am one of your hosts, Clara Peterson. And I'm your other host, Jessica Williams. Today, we're going to go back to our formerly held tradition of having kind of a catch-up chat at the beginning. I don't think we've done this for over a year now. We dropped our chats, but it's fun. And also, we have new music that we're working in, in fun ways. So we're kind of formalizing our intro, which you'll hear rolling out in the next few weeks. But we are so lucky and just so thrilled to have this music composed for us by Dylan Thurston, who's a good friend and really, truly brilliant composer. He actually offered to do the music for us as part of his school program that he's in for composing, I guess. Mm -hmm. And he's doing such a great job. He's also uh, composing the score for my feature movie, Snatchers. So Dylan is amazing, and we are just so excited to have music now for our podcast, thanks to him and his mind just randomly coming up with it. Yeah. On that note, when is Snatchers supposed to air? Well, it's always been slated for hopeful premiere in 2020. We wrapped principal photography in 2017, so I think that's a pretty normal timeline for an indie. We do have to finish the score, which I have every bit of confidence in because it's Dylan, and then the CGI, which I think should be fine. It's also in good hands, but there's just a lot. There are like a lot of pieces now, details that really have to come together by September so we can apply to our preferred festivals and see what we get into. Yeah, very cool. Coming yeah. to the end. Yeah, yeah. It's exciting. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we're here to talk about dance stuff, and we have a lot of dance stuff to talk about. So there was Dylan. We just wanted to make sure everybody knows his name, and we're so excited and happy to be working with him and to have this music from him. So thank you, Dylan. Thanks, Dylan. Yay. <laughs> but yeah, we've done a lot of other stuff, too. We saw a performance a few weeks ago together. Yeah, that was Natalia Osipova's performance at City Center. Yeah. So she was dancer and curator of the night, and she also danced with David Halberg. David Halberg. Yeah. Well, it was billed as Natalia and David, but then, I mean, they each had a solo, and then I think they were in two pieces together. And then there were two other men who mm -hmm. each did one piece with Natalia. Yes, so. Jason Kittleberger being one of them. Yeah. Hot new couple, we think, it looks like. Based on Instagram, maybe. Instagram. It looks like they're a couple. Hot gosh. <laughs> also based on that piece. Oh, my God. You know I have my opinions about this show, which I'm busy writing about. <laughs> it was a good show. Overall, it was fun. But I really was just like completely blown away by one piece, which was the piece with— uh, Jason Kittleberger. Yeah. Yes. Jason and Natalia. The other ones I thought were fine, but that was—with that piece, I was like, yes, this is what chemistry looks like oh my God, mm -hmm. these two have it. And they both, it made them both look like way better dancers, just having them together. Well, I don't know. I haven't seen Jason otherwise, but oh my God, that piece was so amazing. And it was by Roy Ossoff. And remember at the time I turned to you and I was like, oh, why do I know the name Roy Ossoff? And we weren't sure. Neither of us was sure. Then I edited Troy's interview, which we just released. I hope everyone has listened to it and realized that I know the name because Troy has danced with Roy. <laughs> with Roy Ossoff, so he was in her bio. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to have to, like, pick her brain about him. And, totally. And stalk him and just, like, I yeah. don't know, turn this piece into a movie, something. It was amazing. Yeah, really interesting choreography. Yeah. And overall, I was really happy to see Natalia Osipova dance in various styles, and she really plays with the dynamics of time and her movement. And mm. she does that even within contemporary dance because we're used to seeing her do that in ballet specifically. So it was really cool to see her range and how she's really trying to step into being more of a versatile artist. And she's definitely now that ballerina status where she gets her own evening at City Center. Is that a new thing? I know that it's not many ballerinas who can command that, but is that kind of a new thing in the last few years, or has that always happened just few and far between? As far as I know, it's a newer thing in the past few years. But generally speaking, it seems like dancers are now stepping up into this curatorial role. So mm. 
she's also part of that larger trend in general. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, and it's cool to see. It is also fun because it helps elevate dancers to the status of star, which some of them have always been, but hopefully more and more we'll see yeah. dancers like taking on stardom on some level. Yeah. Yeah. I was also really happy to check out CDI's Fifth Year Fest. All right. Yeah, we did our in our release two releases ago for listeners. Again, if you haven't listened to it, go find it. Our interview with the director and one of the choreographers was about this performance that you were able to see. Yeah, and I saw Program B, which was performed the weekend of March 21st and 23rd. And it was really cool to see the range of artists that they are producing, many of which are based in New York City. Mm. Some names not as well known, but they're absolutely doing so many things in New York City. So it was great to see all of these names together. Of course, Gabrielle Lamb, her company Pigeon Wing Dance, presented um, really cool choreography. And she talked on our show about starting with this imagery of a tree, Mm. the tree's name of which I can't remember at the moment, but it was very clear and apparent, some of the connections that the dancers were making with each other and how they would create like a structure and then that structure would become hollowed out and then they would move on to a new structure. Wow. And she also presents a lot of like quirky movement. Mm. I kind of forgot and actually Jamie Benson reminded me when we were talking about the show after that she does have this quirky element to her choreography, which I really appreciate. Oh, you ran into Jamie there. Yeah, he oh, was at the show. That's always such a treat. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Mm-hmm. Jamie. And I was also really impressed with MB Dance. And M- MB, like? Yes, MB stands for Maria Bauman. Okay. So she's oh. the artistic director of MB Dance. And that was really fascinating. The entire mm-hmm. piece was through improvisation. And I spoke with Jamie Benson after and also Alyssa. Alyssa Alpine. Yes. The director. And they said that each night, the choreography that she presented was totally different. So it was completely improvised. Oh, it was improvised? Yeah. But they had, like, I guess certain markers and places where, you know, they knew they had to line up and Mm. create the structure together. And she had two performers with her who, together, they just presented this world that really brought us all back to our childhood with, like, childhood games and all the songs and dances that you play on the playground. Wow, and interesting. They use a lot of humor, and it was just a really wonderful presentation, and I would love to learn more about her process. And I know that she also works with some other artist collectives, such as Skeleton Architecture, and they're doing a lot of really interesting things with, like, community building and a curatorial sort of space. Hmm. So I think that would be interesting to explore more. Wow. Well, hey, Maria, if you're listening, we're probably (laughs) going to hit you up and try to get you on the podcast. (laughs) That's cool. I'd really love to see her work. Yeah. One thing this is making me think of is I think one of my questions in the back of my mind now is what makes a contemporary or let's say like creative movement work and what makes it not work? Because it just feels like this sort of X factor that I can't describe, but a lot of times I'll see a presentation of choreography that's based in or coming from a choreographer who certainly has an understanding of classical technique, ballet, but then they are branching off and either being quirky like Gabrielle Lamb or trying to be more contemporary, just throwing in different styles of movement. And I mean, a lot of times when it doesn't work, it's hard to say if it's the choreography or the dancers because it's that that look we both know and many dancers know where it's like ballerinas trying to do something that's not ballet and they just look like they're trying not to be ballerinas, Mm -hmm. but they look awkward the whole time. So sometimes that's the problem. But then sometimes I'm like, I don't know why it's not working. In fact, one of the pieces, I mean, a lot of of the pieces we saw in the Asapova show, aside from the one I really loved, were like this for me. But one of them in particular, our companions really liked, our two non-dance companions, which was so fun to Mm -hmm. have along. But I, it just, it didn't, I didn't really like it. It didn't work for me. And the movement was very quirky and very different. And there's no reason why I wouldn't like it. It just, I just don't think it worked. But then I actually looked up that choreographer and some of his other work. And it was 
great. Like what I saw on YouTube, even just YouTube, I was totally pulled in and mesmerized and would love to see more of his work. So mm-hmm. I even feel bad criticizing sometimes because I don't mean to be like, well, this choreographer sucks. But like for some reason, that piece just didn't, it didn't land. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what I don't know what it is. Yeah. And I guess uh, when you do determine what it is that excites you about certain choreography or all the elements coming together, I think that becomes a lot of people's like curatorial framework, like things Mm. that they look for in dances. I don't quite know what mine is. (laughs) Yeah, well, and a lot of it for a long time and maybe forever just is your sense. I mean, a lot of it is taste, you know, and we can't really know where that comes from. Mm -hmm. So sometimes something works for one person and not another. But I'm sure that I would have really loved to see Gabrielle's piece. I'm sure that would have worked for me. Also in that performance was Afrat Asheri. Oh, yeah. So they closed the show with a really fun and energetic, dynamic piece. And it's great that after interviewing her, we got to see her in this lineup of really cool performances. Yeah. Or at least one of us did. I'm (laughs) glad you got to go to that show. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, we could talk ad nauseum about all these things, but maybe we should uh, transition to our guest. We're so excited to have this guest who's our first representative from Bollywood and yet another Indian dancer or representative from India. So we'll get going. Pooja Oberoi is the producer for NYC Dance Week and founder of Funkar, an initiative that is part of NYC Dance Week. She has more than 13 years of experience as a dancer and teacher in jazz schools, the Bollywood industry in Mumbai, India, and New York City. She was a board member and head of the Dance Works, one of the biggest dance schools of Western dance in India, before moving to NYC. Pooja has performed her choreographies and taught at the prestigious CBS This Morning, Dance USA Dance, and in schools in India, New York City, California, Canada, Puerto Rico, Israel, and Mexico. Pooja also owns a dance company in New York named Ikigai USA. She is also a consultant for a music school and runs an international artist management company called Artists East West. Thank you so much. We are so very thrilled to have you here, Pooja. Thank you, Clara. Thank you, Jess, to have me here today. I'm so excited to be with you guys. Great. So to start, how did you initially get involved in dance and what forms of dance did you train in primarily? I started dancing at the age of uh, three years and that is when my mother put me into Indian classical dance. Uh, It was also her wish because she wanted to take up dance, but in India at her time, dance was not a very viable career, so she couldn't pursue dance. However, when she put me into the dance class at the age of three, I hated it because I started with Indian dance, which is very difficult. And in India, uh, there is this Guru Shishya Parampara because of which the Indian teachers are very, very strict. And as a three-year-old, I couldn't take it. So I left dancing. And then it was only at the age of 17 that I started taking classes at the dance works with a choreographer named Ashley Lobo who was trained in Australia and he moved to India to open this dance school. Hmm. And it was only when I started training in jazz and ballet and contemporary dance that I discovered my love for dance again. And I'm glad that I didn't hate it for the rest of my life and I took back to dancing and I trained with them and it was very soon that they asked me to join their company. And then from there, there was no looking back because then I started teaching. I started heading their dance school, Gurgaon in New Delhi and started performing, choreographing, and I ended up being with them for 13 years. Wow. And was that all in ballet, jazz, more Western styles, or were you learning and teaching and performing some Indian styles as well at that time? No, the only Indian dance I learned was at the age of three, and a little bit after that, at the age of uh, 10, I learned Kathak, uh, because Kathak is a much easier dance form than Bharatanatyam, which I started at the age of three. Uh, But at Danceworks, I only uh, did jazz and uh, ballet and contemporary. It was much later when I became a choreographer that I started uh, choreographing Bollywood musicals, and I then retrained myself in uh, Indian dance to combine it with uh, Bollywood. 
Interesting. I actually had pictured uh, the dances in Bollywood being more Indian, but it sounds like maybe they're a mix of styles. Yes. Now, if you look at the Bollywood industry, there's a big change and there is hip hop, there is jazz, there's ballet mm. in uh, Bollywood movies and there is uh, Indian classical dance, of course. And uh, I would say like how in any other part of the world, ballet is the classical dance form. Mm -hmm. In India, the Indian classical dance forms such as Bharatanatyam, Kathak, and Odissi, uh, other Indian, um, you know, the base that a student uh, would need. And then uh, like just like pop and hip hop are the popular styles here, Bollywood is the popular style in India. So oh. if you have a training and a base in Indian classical dance, it helps you to do any dance form. Interesting. Yeah, that is very similar to ballet. Everyone says if you have ballet as a base, you can do many types exactly, yeah. of modern dance. So that's why we all, uh, that's why my mother forced me into doing Indian classical dance. And she's like, once I have a base, then I would be able to do any style. And I'm sure it did help, uh, which I realized much later in my life. Right. Yeah. So that's interesting that this dance studio, Dance Works, right. was that one of the first? Yes, so when Ashley, the choreographer who op opened this dance school, the dance works, when he came from Australia, there was only Bollywood and Bhangra in India. And he came and opened a jazz school, which was the only jazz school in the whole of New Delhi. And New Delhi, we mm. still, like Mumbai is still in India. Mumbai has the uh, Bollywood industry, so it's more cultural and open to arts. Delhi wasn't so open to any other Western dance form. So, mm. yes, it was a very tough first 15 years before he could educate the whole uh, society about jazz and ballet and Western dance forms. But then there are now, after that, many more dance academies opened up. Yeah. It just seems like Bollywood is so open to other forms and styles of dance. And of course, now it's totally blown up into like hip hop. Every time I see a Bollywood dance number, I'm like, how many styles can I point out? Um, I know. So I imagine there must be many more schools who are teaching various oh, yeah. forms of dance. Now there are just too many dance uh, schools that have opened up. And in fact, uh, I don't know if you know, but one of the winners of uh, So You Think You Can Dance, Lauren uh, Gottlieb, even went to India. She acted in a oh. couple of Bollywood movies and mm -hmm. she became an actress and she started dancing in movies. So she bought her training of uh, jazz and ballet and uh, pop into Bollywood movies and to tell you another thing that we recently have a team from Mumbai which was a Bollywood team a crew that made it to the world of dance they're right now competing in the finals so mm. there's a lot of cross-cultural exchange that is happening now and hip-hop is something that you'll see a lot in Bollywood movies these days yeah mm. and now was that not was that not always the case did it used to be in I guess the old days of Bollywood that it was all Katak or Right. Yes. It um, only changed yeah. now because in the 90s, uh, we know when uh, all of this was happening in the Bollywood movies, when the dancing was happening, there was no YouTube. I started dancing yeah. when there was no YouTube. So we only had Indian classical dance forms of freestyle to take from. And it was mm -hmm. only when YouTube came out, then uh, India started watching videos of hip hop or ballet dancers. And then people mm -hmm. started training and incorporating that into Bollywood dance. But in the 90s, you're right, it was more Indian classical dance based wow. dances wow I obviously haven't been able to watch a lot of Bollywood but now <laughs> I'm curious to watch some from like the 80s and the 90s and current you see, see a very, see very big uh, shift if you watch a 90s movie and if really? you watch something that is happening right now mm. it is totally flipped so mm -hmm. you will this you will be able to relate to even the music that is in movies today uh, a lot more than the 90s music Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Is it just in the dance styles that it's evolved or has have Bollywood movies evolved a lot in the storytelling and other, other aspects? No, they've evolved uh, in a lot of ways, especially uh, with uh, a lot of women empowerment now. Earlier, mm -hmm. I would even say in the acting department, the woman would just be a showpiece in a Bollywood movie. Mm -hmm. But it is only now. And, you know, you know the latest uh, sensation from India Priyanka Chopra is mm -hmm. here and you know with people like her and there is Ashwara Rai many more uh, women who went on to become Miss Universe Miss World took, went into Bollywood and then they brought another angle into 
Bollywood. Oh. And then the directors and producers actually started making movies which were women-centric. Mm. And with the women having more content in the movies besides just dancing. So today they're actually making movies on important social and climate issues and uh, issues dealing with women and more uh, the women have a, a more meatier role I would say in the films now it just completely changed wow and that's rapid change as well. yes for india yes because india was there are still issues and there are things to deal with and in mm -hmm. terms of how progressively people think but i would say it's it's a big change for india in terms of bollywood wow what an interesting industry to get to work in <laughs> so tell us about nyc dance week and funkar Oh, I moved here, this was just by chance, because I moved here to New York two years back in 2017 after I got married. And I had no plan of uh, moving to New York. I was doing very well in Mumbai and uh, Bollywood and suddenly love brought me to New York. Uh -huh. Then I just happened to, I was looking around for dance schools, dance festivals and dance classes. Uh, and I found New York City Dance Week three years back and uh, now... Uh, after working with them for two years, I am the producer and I completely took over a major role in uh, the New York City Dance Week. New York City Dance Week is a 10-day dance festival with the primary aim of giving back to the community. So we tie up with over 100 studios in the city, which allows uh, us to give free classes to students and dancers for 10 days. Some of our partners are Alvin Ailey, Mark Morris, uh, Joffrey Ballet, Harlem Dance Club, and uh, a lot of prestigious institutes uh, where some of the students would never be able to afford a class, which, which costs somewhere around $20 to $35. So the whole aim of New York City Dance Week was to bring these uh, classes to the students uh, who wanted to take these classes. We also have a lot of events like the opening night, closing night at Mark Morris. Okay. We start with full day event at Union Square with a hip hop dance battle and classes mm -hmm. for kids and adults. We have on the same day uh, an event in front of the Brooklyn uh, Borough President's Office. Then we have a performance night on June 19th this year at Dixon Place, which gives opportunities to emerging choreographers. We give them a small stipend, we give them a rehearsal space, we help them curate the whole show, market the tickets for them. So it just gives a platform to emerging artists who would not be able to afford all of this otherwise. And we also have something called uh, Fitness Labs, where we give emerging teachers a studio and a marketing opportunity to come and conduct a class for people. We get them the studio, we do market the classes for them, we get them the, stu uh, get them the students, and we look for teachers who are doing classes which are very different from what is already available in New York City. So the whole idea of New York City Dance Week is to promote mm. the diversity in dance in New York City. Wow. I don't know how I haven't heard of this. This is amazing. I it's love been that. there for 14 years now, 14 I think. Years. Yeah, but they've been evolving and they changed the name. And uh, what, did you, what did it used to be called? It was a National Dance Week earlier. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Oh. So maybe you must have heard oh. of that. Yeah. Was it tied into a national effort? Then? I think so. I just, I'm not very sure because I just got involved with them last two years. But yeah. they said that somebody else also had a similar name, and that's when they had to change the name to I New York City it. Dance Week. Yeah. Wow. And Funkar, and I mean, you asked me, Funkar is yeah. what is called the Performance Night, which I started curating from this year. It was a event. This was something that they were doing at Dixon Place already. But when I watched it, I felt that there isn't enough diversity. So I changed the name from NYC 10 to Funkar. And Funkar mm -hmm. is a Urdu word, which means the artist within you. And the whole idea of me calling it Funkar and curating this was to include different dance forms and create more diversity. Because when I saw the show, I felt that it was only contemporary dance and there was no diversity at all. So this year, Funkar has a lot of Indian dancers, African dancers, and there is, in fact, a German artist who does Mohini Attam, which is an Indian classical dance form. Again, Mohini Attam. Okay. And she uh, travels all the way to India for six months, learns that, and she's been doing that for the past 10 years. So we've wow. invited her all the way from Germany to come and perform at <coughs> Funkar this year. 
I find it interesting. It sounds like, so you are mixing traditional with contemporary forms in this right. format? Right. So her training is in uh, ballet and contemporary dance. And after doing that for many years, she moved to India to learn uh, Mohini. And then she combines both of those, which just becomes, uh, I think it's beautiful because it's more appealing to a wider audience. Even though I'm Indian and I want to get this art across, I sometimes feel because of the language barrier, a lot of audience, they love the color and the glamour, but Mm -hmm. they're not able to understand the music or the lyrics of what the artist is trying to portray. So I really love this blend and fusion so we can reach a wider audience. Yeah. And sometimes it's nice to, I mean, for me, because I love having more details about (laughs) things to understand them better, but to really dig into where things come from. Like after our conversation with our previous... Barca? Barca, yeah, Yeah. who's working with Sarah now. She's working with one of our good friends. Oh, wow. Yeah, she, she explained to us kind of how the rhythm is incorporated and how all the detailed movements take place mm-hmm. and like how you incorporate sound. Right. And I don't know, just hearing more about it was really helpful for me to understand and appreciate and feel like if I watched her performance again, you know, I would get more out of it because I would right. kind of know what the elements were that were going into it in a very deliberate way. Because Indian classical dance, like uh, what Barkha does is uh, uh, only Indian classical dance. It has a lot of abhinaya, which is what we call the story. And uh, um. in... Uh, uh, olden days, it was all based on the gods, Shiva, Ganesha, and their story and what they are talking about. So everything that you see in an Indian classical dance, whether it's a girl wearing her jewelry, is expressed th- through words and music. And that is what the dancer is portraying. So I that's why I always say that if you understand the language and what the dancer is trying to say, it becomes very, very easy to understand the whole choreography. Yeah, and if you don't, then I guess it's harder. You have to kind of know. Yeah, but it's still so beautiful that, yeah. Yeah. It's nice to watch. Oh, it's totally captivating. Yes. Yeah. So do you have a particular curatorial platform or, I guess, criteria that you are judging artists by when you're looking at their work and figuring out who to select to bring into funk art? Yes, uh, so we accept uh, applications online and we ask them to send a small video promo link and also a full link and where all they have performed. And the first criteria, of course, is the beauty in the art of their art and what they are presenting to the world. It should ideally have a message that they are trying to give out through their dance. And Hmm. we do not choose someone who's already been on many platforms and is not very new. We try to give chance to someone who's even work in progress is accepted because we want to give an opportunity to people who want to uh, present their work right now. Plus, it should be very, like I said, Funkar specifically is focusing on diversity. So it has to be very different from each other. So if we already picked a contemporary piece, we will pick maybe another style of dance. So it would be originality, what is the message, it would be diversity, and it should be a relatively new choreographer who's trying to make it in the world. Wow, it sounds fascinating. Yeah, that's great. And I really, again, just love how you're mixing diversity and tradition and contemporary together in one platform. Yeah, that's the whole, uh, when I moved here, that's what I was, I think, I, it took me one year to figure out what I want to do with all the dance training that I had in India. But then I realized that it, both the worlds can match and blend very beautifully. Mm-hmm. Wow. There have been a lot of recent conversations about curating traditional dance. It seems to be of great interest to the curatorial community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you find, generally speaking, that with a lot of various traditional forms, do you find that a lot of the practitioners do new and exciting things with traditional forms? Or generally speaking, what might you look for from a traditional artist? So I I feel I am in a very uh, open and free space because I don't do Indian tradition, classical dance. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Bollywood that way has uh, very few rules and regulations. But I know that even in uh, the traditional dance, there are two schools of thought. There are some who are who want to stick to um, their uh, roots and their what their guru has taught them. And there are a few artists who are now open to collaborating with other other dance forms and uh, going into uh, fusion. 
So I would say there's both schools of thought that exist and some of them will not budge from their traditional choreographies and music. But on the other hand, there are some who would. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also interesting to see, too, when someone is trying to stay within the traditional Mm -hmm. confines, they are still transforming it as they are producing a traditional art form. Yeah, there are a lot of, like I recently, but we're going to talk about a company that I run uh, with supporting artists from India. And there are some of them who are traveling and they are still trying to stick to their roots, but they are just so beautiful and their art is so different even in uh, what they've been doing for the past 30 years that it appeals to everybody to see how they're still able to bring out the beauty of dance, sticking to what they started 30 years back. Mm Mm-hmm. So maybe we can jump to this Artist East West company that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. You do represent these artists. How do you help them and how are they promoted and how does that help artist economies? When I was in India, I had one of my uh, mentors who was manager of our company in uh, India. He's from Israel and he was working with Batsheva Dance Company and Kibbutz uh, Dance oh. Company in Tel Aviv. He was their manager for 20 years. Who, who is this? Gilad Mati. Okay. And it was a chance meeting that he met Ashley, uh, my group, the company that I was working with. And he was helping a Bollywood musical that we had created to uh, make it tour and travel throughout the world. And he helped us do that. And we traveled to South Africa, to USA, to Canada to Germany with that show. And in the middle of, I had choreographed that show with uh, Ashley and I was touring with them. And in the the middle of all of that, I got married and I moved here. Mm -hmm. And then when I moved here, he just called me one day and he was like, you know what, you're out there. And you always used to say that there's nobody in India to, there's no agents um, that we have in India, like you have in uh, USA or Europe. Nobody represents Indian artists abroad. So we thought about this idea of becoming the first ever agency to promote Indian artists. And we joined hands and then we started looking out for work of Indian artists, people who had full-blown productions, people who had something to say to the world about India and Indian art. And we started with 10 companies, Indian artists. We started only in 2018 after I moved here. And how this works is that we ask them to pay a small fees to us every month, which we then use to travel to different art conferences. Like in New York, you have uh, APAP and in Canada, you have uh, Sinars. These are artist markets where you would go and sell artists and productions. And there are people buying the art. There are theater presenters and owners who come there. So instead of every artist, Indian artist especially, spending $10,000 to go to one conference, we decided to get them all together and we represent them to travel to these conferences and represent all of them. Hmm. And it is like now as we speak in two years, we're already able to book one of them for 2020 for a tour of US and Canada. So we've been, by God's grace, we've been successful in that. But this was again just the aim of uh, just my mission of making sure that Indian art in some way reaches uh, to the world. And that's yes. how we started working uh, with Indian artists through our Artist East West. Yeah. I was going to say, in the U.S., it's not common for dancers to have representation. And we talk about, well, in the commercial world, I think maybe they do, but yeah. not like ballet dancers. So we talk about this or we have with past guests as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, how we can get people represented or if it makes sense for this world. So I think that's so great that you just started this company and started doing it. Mm -hmm. And have you seen some examples in the U.S. or do you think it could be transferred here in some ways as well? I think there are, uh, you know, the big companies, uh, like if you look at Alvin Ailey or if you even Mm -hmm. look at uh, the Netherlands uh, Dance Theatre from Amsterdam, they all have uh, our agents. 
And I think it really makes sense for whether you're in India or whether you're in US to have an agent and a company that manages you. Because uh, I have been on both ends and I know when I'm a choreographer and I'm choreographing and I'm in the room, you do not want to think about anything else. You do not want to have the pressure of knowing whether your art is going to sell or not. Mm -hmm. So as a choreographer, I think the uh, and the dancers, the creative team should just focus on choreographing and being in the studio, working on the costumes and dancers. But there must be an agent which is looking after your work in the world and representing you because also once you're in the market and you're going to different conferences you know what is the right budget that you should propose for an artist and you get so good with it that you're able to market the artist better and you're interacting with different professionals different companies on a daily basis if you just talk about APAP which is the uh, Association of Performing uh, Artists Association conference that happens in um, January Mm -hmm. there are over 3,000 booths of agents and dancers and dance companies that are there interacting with each other, discussing uh, how to, you know, sell and buy art. So in that sense, uh, an agent is really, really required because he's the best person to decide how to sell you in the world. Mm -hmm. Now, are you representing companies or individuals or both? So we started with individuals in 2018, but I realized as since we were also new in this business, over two years after attending a lot of conferences, I realized that people are right now looking for bigger productions. And by that, I mean at least eight to ten people in uh, the group because it is easier uh, for them to sell that because what uh, the... What they, uh, how do you say the audience? The audience is right now looking for a story in yeah. uh, every show, and which is not very easy to get through with a soloist. So mm-hmm. we now are only focusing on uh, artists, production companies, and dance companies, which have eight to ten. Or for a Bollywood musical like mine, like I was working on, we had twenty-two people in a cast. So something like that, because Bollywood is very easy to sell because it appeals to everybody. So yeah. we're only focusing on Bollywood musicals and Indian production companies with eight to ten cast members. Okay, hmm. interesting. I find a lot of solo artists would definitely benefit from an agent in the contemporary performance yeah. scene, where. Perhaps their art is not as sellable, quote-unquote, as a Bollywood production. And typically their casts are much smaller, like maybe like five or less performers. Right. And it would be interesting to see if this agent format could indeed, I guess, be more widespread for all types of choreographers. Yeah, so that's the whole uh, idea and that's why we started with that. But I hope in a couple of years we get back to representing individual artists from India or maybe from... We, in fact, the German dancer that I was talking about is one of our clients uh, on the list. But And it is easy for us, even though she's a solo artist, to market her and get her across the world because she has both... Uh, qualities of a contemporary dancer and an Indian dancer. So she uh, can travel to any country and present whatever piece uh, she's required to present. So in that capability, yes, we do have still have one artist who is a soloist. Interesting. And I was thinking too, I mean, not necessarily that an artist represented would be a soloist, but of representing individual members of the cast within a larger company like ABT or Elvin Ailey or a smaller company. Mm-hmm. Um, like any number of companies where we've talked to the the choreographer. And I just, I wonder, I wonder what will develop there, how that should develop in a way. If a company is represented, certainly that makes sense. But then should the individual artists within that have representation too? I guess once they have a contract with the company, maybe they don't need it at the moment, but they are kind of tempor- essentially temporary hires. And a lot of them will pick up and move to another company or or what have you. So it's just something we think about a lot in the dance world and whether that would even make sense. I think that that should happen, but uh, maybe not not right now. Like even if you look at these big artists, whether it's a pop star or it's a big dancer, they all have individual artists, the movie stars, but uh, it's high time we move to that and even individual performers should start having an agent because some of them are Highly talented. And again, like I said, they're all so immersed in their dance training and creative uh, training that they don't have the time to really sell themselves. So we do need uh, agents for them to 
Yeah, I mean, it'd be great to get a lot of dancers into commercials and other things, you know, just so that they have more income streams and more power. That said, their dance training takes up so much of their time. A lot of them don't have the time, and it would be a disservice to, you know, the level of technique or everything we're looking at. But yeah, right now, so. even with the, having an agent, it is so expensive in the U.S. Even yeah. if you have an agent on a retainer, they charge you anywhere. I'm talking U.S. rates, $3,000 to $5,000 a month. And mm. no individual artist is going to be able to afford that. Yeah. Or if they take them on a commission, they take up about 30% of your earning of a single ad. So <sighs> that is the reason why it is. I really feel like <laughs> artists are very, very underpaid and undervalued That's in our so society. Well, and if they had some form of representation, some of the logic would be maybe eventually they could command higher rates. But the thing is, they can't because they would have they would be getting paid more, I think, if there was enough of an audience that companies were making more. But that's it always comes down to that problem. Yeah. Um, that dance just doesn't make enough money in the U.S., Yet. <laughs> and I think it's anywhere. Even in India, mm. we have the same issue that uh, mm. the kind of uh, importance and prominence the performing arts or artists should get, it's not uh, coming through for them in any part of the world. Even though I feel they contribute the most to the general well-being of an adult or any employee of a company. And even uh, for kids, if they start their dance training or they start a music training, whatever, performing arts training, they're going to grow up to be better individuals. So I think yeah. for us, country, uh, investing in performing arts and being artist is really, really the most important thing right now. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Yeah, (laughs) definitely agree. And one more question on that topic. Am I reading correctly from your comments that the dancers in Bollywood movies are not always represented, though the actors might be, or are they one and the same? Are they like big stars or are they... So the actors, they all have their own managers and they close all their deals and get them. Uh, Of course, in the end, it's the actor's uh, choice whether he wants to sign a movie or not, depending on the script. But for the dancers, there is a union, just like there's a union in uh, Mm -hmm. USA. And the union decides a lot of their rules and regulations and how they're going to work, what is going to be their monthly, hourly uh, rate. So it all works according to the unions. Plus, there are these uh, big choreographers who have managers. So any mm-hmm. if a choreographer is choreographing a Bollywood movie, all the dancers from his company perform with him in that movie. Okay. So it's the choreographer's manager who closes the deal for him, and then everybody else gets paid what the choreographer decides for them. Okay. So that is how choreographers in uh, Bollywood and in India are like pretty big. They're as big a star as a movie actor now. I mean, almost there because they also lead their own reality shows just like uh, you would have Jennifer Lopez doing World of Dance here. You have big Indian choreographers who run their dance reality shows. Yeah, I've noticed I always see clips on Instagram Mm -hmm. from those TV shows in India. Mm -hmm. So those have grown quite a bit over the past few years. Oh, yeah. They were like, we're already in uh, season 10 of uh, this uh, reality show called Dance India Dance. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, we uh, bought a version of that to USA and I worked on it last Mm -hmm. year. We called it Dance USA Dance. And uh, yeah, it's uh, the same format. It's some... Uh, something like so you think uh, uh, you can dance but uh, Indian version of it and uh, Dance USA Dance the second season is going to happen next year in Vegas and we're preparing for it right now Uh, same format we have uh, group dancers soloists duos and then they all compete in a big uh, uh, finale and last year we had Lauren and Matt Stefanina and uh, Nakul Dev Mahajan to judge that competition so Yes, we're kind of forgetting that format from India now, in fact, the reality show concept. And is it Dance USA Dance, is it featuring Indian dance or a range of styles? No, it is. It last when we started it, because it was the Indian format, it had a majority of Indian uh, dance forms, wow. uh, classical, Bollywood, and it had some hip hop too. It had, it had hmm. uh, one African dance team too. So it was uh, pretty diverse, but moving to the next season in 2020, it's going to be bigger and more diverse and it's not going to be only limited to Indian dance forms. That's so exciting. You've worked on so many different exciting things. (laughs) Yeah, you're like hashtag 
No everything. money views. <laughs> no money views ever. And that's what I tell all my friends. They're like, oh, we need a holiday. And I'm like, why don't you do something that, you know, you feel like you're on a holiday every day? Just like me. I don't feel like, like he keeps, uh, my husband keeps telling me that, you know, let's go for a holiday. I'm like, no, I'm enjoying it right here. I do not need Love to holiday. escape. Yeah, on holiday always. Mm-hmm. I love that. So I'm interested in learning more about Bali jazz. Ah, so um, Bali Jazz, this name uh, came about because I, like I told you, I trained in uh, jazz in India, Uh, even though it's so ironical that I was learning jazz in India, not in USA, but Mm -hmm. jazz has been my uh, major training in dance in India and uh, Bollywood has been in my blood because I grew up watching Bollywood movies, listening to the music. So I wanted to do something which is really true to what I have learned and I believe in. And that's why I combine Bollywood and jazz into Bolly Jazz. Why I also chose jazz was because I feel uh, when you warm up, jazz has a very, very nice, gives a dancer a very nice structure. It focuses on lines. It focuses on a full body warm up. And then before they start dancing, it makes sure that the dancer is not going to have any injury. Mm -hmm. And my Bollywood dance class also focuses on a lot more choreography and real dance moves. And it's not just that I play a muse song and then we're just doing some moves. So I need the dancers to have have long lines, clean arms and, you know, clear footwork. And that's why I use, uh, blend the jazz uh, training and the Bollywood dance moves into Bolly jazz. Mm. Wow. So you kind of made up this new technique, really. And when did you start offering classes in that? I started, uh, I started using this technique in 2018, but it was only towards the end uh, in November 2018 when I uh, put a stamp to it and got a trademark and now I own the brand. And in my classes also focus on, like I was talking about, uh, Bollywood is all about storytelling. I try to, before I teach them a song, convert the song and explain to them what the lyrics mean. Mm-hmm. Because in Bollywood, if you do not understand the story behind the song, it's going to be meaningless. Mm-hmm. I try to tell them whether it's a love song or the song is about pain or it's about a wedding so that they can make their own story and emote while dancing. And Bollywood also is a lot about performance and facial expressions. So I need mm-hmm. them to feel that pain if it's a sad song. I need them to have the feeling of celebration if it's a happy song and the feeling of love if it's a love song. So in 45 minutes, I try to teach them the story, the lyrics and a full dance routine that they can take home and remember when they leave. Wow. Uh, <laughs> when and where do you teach these classes? We'll... So I'm teaching right now at uh, Brooklyn uh, in Park Slope Mm -hmm. uh, in a studio called Studio Maya. And Mm -hmm. on Wednesdays, I am at Physical Equilibrium in uh, Manhattan on 53rd Street and Park. And then I am also teaching at uh, Rio Dance Center in Astoria, which is the first, in fact, professional dance studio, which is like an Ailey or a Mark Morris. And they, you know, called me over to introduce this style as a part of their dance classes. So that just started last month. I have my classes in Upper East Side on uh, 65th Street. And I teach in uh, Hoboken in New Jersey. And that is a kids' class. So I teach kids from ages 3 to 12. Wow. Mm. So quite widespread. I think we talked a little bit about this with Burka as well. The facial expressions yeah. that are used in Indian dance. Because that is so different from ballet in mm-hmm. the U.S. Well, yeah, not different so much from ballet in Russia. Where they get really <laughs> into it to an extent that it can be annoying. But <laughs> um, we don't really do that. I mean, how do you loosen people up and help them actually express in that way in class? I feel like I would feel very inhibited and like intimidated to emote using my face in class. So I think a lot of factors. The first thing I, when I went here to classes and I felt that, I felt a little disconnected in some classes, not all, that mm-hmm. where you would just go in, they start a class, do a, a warm up and a routine and you just leave. So I first make sure that I get to know every student that 
coming to my class. I find out their name. I tell them a little bit about myself. We introduce each other so that everybody makes friends. And then that's the first layer of baggage and, you know, all the inhibitions that goes that whatever we do in class today, it is going to be okay. And I tell them when you're entering my class, think like a five-year-old. So be okay okay to do anything. Mm -hmm. And then when I tell them the story and they understand the meaning of the song that they're doing, it it becomes even easier for them. So if I'm trying to tell them that, you know, we're talking about a love song where this boy is winking at a girl and it's all, uh, he's teasing the girl. So then you have to be a little playful and then they start becoming more comfortable with it. I try to show them everything on uh, my body and I express so that they can uh, copy that. But uh, if you look at them, I mean, it's pretty, pretty astonishing sometimes for me the way they get it because Mm. they all have this really amazing desire to learn something uh, new. And that's why they come to a Bali jazz class. Mm. Wow. And when you said it at first felt a little bit cold or impersonal, is that in contrast to India? In India, are classes different? Do, Do you get to know people better or is this just something you started doing on I your think, own? Uh, I think I have to say that for uh, it's not about only dance in India. It is a culture thing. Mm. If you have visited India, you will know that people are more friendly and they will talk more and everybody knows everybody. And if something happens, people are just going to reach out to you. As compared to when I moved to New York, I just felt like nobody initially. Now I've found my way through it but I feel that people are always so busy running around doing their own things that nobody has a time to call up somebody every day and check on what's happening in their life and things are happening on the road and people just pass by because Mm -hmm. it's also a lifestyle thing in India Mm -hmm. for example I had a servant in my house all the time I had my mother my father my aunt so many people to take care of me here you're doing everything on your own so now I feel even I've become like that like I have no time for anything (laughs) and anybody so I cannot really blame a person it's the culture it's the two different way Mm -hmm. of living and lifestyle that we come from but I feel lucky that I can blend both because I have seen both of uh, the lifestyles Mm -hmm. it almost becomes a gesture when you do let everyone say who they are and where they're from and now everyone's grounded in the class together that actually becomes a community building exercise and that is in contrast to the busy autonomous excuse me, more like anonymous lives that we live where when we do get into a space, like we're still in our own head. So I really like that you create that gesture. And yeah, most dance classes don't do that. And also, Mm -hmm. I think this is an unsaid thing, but... I feel that because when I came here, the first thing I was looking for was friends because uh, I didn't have friends. And I think people don't say it, but when they come into a class, they actually want that. They want people to smile at themselves and they're looking for a new friend all the time. And they're looking for a person that they can come back to and attend their next class with because nobody wants to go alone, but nobody says it here. And Mm -hmm. I started feeling that now after a year, there are students of mine who are actually doing free marketing for me. So they find a new person, they've invited, you know, they've embodied my style so much. They'll say hi, introduce themselves, and then they will actually go out to them and tell them, I hope to see you next time. And that person just feels so special. Mm -hmm. And I almost 100% have a repeat of the new client who interacted with a student of mine now. So it's becoming, that is a culture that I'm trying to uh, spread through my dance. Because dance is just like a springboard to spread my other uh, mission. Wow. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, I really relate to that. It's been a while in my life since I've been in like a (laughs) position of leadership. But it's nice when you have the chance to try to, I guess, guide people in Mm -hmm. your own kind of way of, way that you think the world should should work. Right. You have impact around the people around you, so... You should use it. Right. I think that's great. So tell us about your company, Ikigai USA, and how it operates between India and New York. So Ikigai came about when I was in uh, Mumbai because I was living with a teacher of mine for a year in Mumbai. I had no place to go, so I was sharing a couch uh, in her house. And I saw her living and I was so enamored by the Japanese culture and the way they live. And it's so minimalistic and they're so organized and clean, which a lot of people in India are not. <laughs> but So I started reading about their culture and then I happened to uh, come across the word ikigai, which means a state of being. 
and ikigai actually explains that you do something that you love and it has four main uh, terms which means passion uh, mission vocation and profession so all along growing up i heard that if you are going to be an artist you're going to be poor yeah there was Im- so you better have a backup you must study and you should you know nobody's going to marry you and i was just very very rebellious uh, child and i was just like i'm going to prove all of you wrong and uh-huh. that was probably one of the reasons also why i took up dance and i actually proved a lot of people wrong because i was dancing choreographing and i was earning money and i was running in even in india i was running my own uh, life and i never had to depend on anybody so when i came here i for carried the same uh, mission and ikigai beautifully uh, fit in all those uh, things in my life passion mission vocation and profession passion because i love it and mission because i think i can really affect the world in a positive way through dance and vocation is something that i want to do every day profession because i also think artists uh, need to be able to earn from what they love and they cannot just do it for free So yeah. that is a message that I need to give out to the world because a lot of people expect artists to work for free and I am not okay with that. So that is what I'm doing with Ikigai and how it operates between India and US is again by uh, spreading the uh, dance in uh, New York and in India through helping artists tour and travel and explore opportunities all over the world i actually have some friends that i mentor and tell them what is working in the world right now how they need to change even a simple thing like their video and how they need to market themselves and like if i went to a conference in canada last year and i saw that they're talking about climate change as being the hottest topic of artist the artistic world so i would share that with my artists in india and tell them that you need to create something about climate change because dance and art is one way where we can draw attention to the most pertaining issues right now and in new york also because ikigai is ikigai is a way to help artists develop their passion i always on the look i'm always on the lookout for people who have a passion for things like baking or painting just besides mm-hmm. art and uh, i tell them that you know you can actually do something with it and you can monetize it you just don't need to do it on the side for free yeah. and i recently just organized an event for uh, two of my baker and uh, painter uh, friends and we did like a baking painting and dance night so that is what ikiga is doing on the side besides me just teaching classes wow so it's a multifaceted right. company springboarding right. from dance yes wow yeah and i love that just getting people to think about ways they can monetize their craft and always think about the value that you bring into the world rather than thinking oh i'm not supposed to make any money from this Yeah, I think some people are really shy and afraid to talk about money. Yeah. And I'm just like why if you if you're you know you're putting in your effort and you're putting in your time time equals money that is what we hear but artists are very very afraid to ask for money or talk about money and that is something I'm trying to help myself and others. Well, and it's a huge taboo. I don't know if it's the same in India and in other places around the world but in America to talk about money it's a it's a taboo which is a huge disservice in a lot of ways. Like yeah. I know for me I started making more money instantly the minute I just learned what some of my peers were making even in completely unrelated professions. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I mean I totally agree with you and it's the same even in India. People just are so scared to even ask. And that, uh, even when I came here it was difficult for me. I couldn't ask for money and uh, it's only now that I'm gathering the courage to say no if somebody's not paying or if somebody expects me to do a free job but uh, As a, as an artist I think we have to start saying no to things only then things are going to change and people are going to get the message. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Before we wrap up, do you have anything on your mind that we haven't talked about or that you want to share with our listeners? Anything additional? I just wanted to tell everybody regarding dance that even uh, neuroscience has now proved that dance is the only activity which challenges the whole mind, body and soul and mm-hmm. it is This is the only activity which is going to help you fight dementia, fight anxiety and keep you young because it activates a part in your brain which no other exercise does. Because in dancing you're using your legs, you're using your arms, you're using your eyes, you're using brain, yes. everything. And I feel when you do something yes. like Bollywood, because most of my clients are not Indian, uh, 
they they add another level of challenge to their uh, dancing because they also have to understand the music and listen to it so uh, more than just kids i think dancing is something all adults should uh, should take up because it is going to help them uh, fight all these issues in the long run so dancing so is the true. only way to stay young Yeah, I love that. And there's also recent research that shows that embodiment increases awareness and also increases comprehension and understanding of concepts. Yes, so that I totally agree with that. And I think people should go and read up about what you're talking about and what I'm talking about and uh, not be afraid to take up dance because a lot of people think after a certain age they cannot dance. But I think uh, if you can find a good teacher, you can learn dance at any age. I had like my oldest student is 65, 68 and wow. she I asked her last week I was like how are you feeling and she just goes like oh, freedom every time I dance with you and she's wow. not Indian she doesn't understand the language I think she's wow. Russian and she's like I just experienced the freedom I've never felt wow So dance is liberation. Yes, totally. Mm-hmm. It <laughs> is. So, it's so interesting to me to hear that there's like research and stuff too because yeah. Alzheimer's runs in my family and I've always been very afraid of of that. And when I've gone to dance classes that have really challenged me, it's occurred to me, I'm like, I think this might be like the only key because it's really working like a, a hip hop class where it, mm-hmm. it looks like it should be easy, but I'm so, I have no training and I so don't get it. I'm like working my mind really hard to try to keep up. Yeah. And then I'm moving at the same time. It's just like, I've just naturally had that thought walking out of a class, like I should be doing this because this is probably yeah. what would save my brain. And that's so interesting. Because there's no, you know, when you go research. into class, I'm sure you must have experienced this. There's nothing else in the world that you can think about. That yeah. is the only thing that helps you focus because if, the way you focus in a dance class, you take that back to your work because yeah. uh, you have to be in there 100% uh, when you're in a dance class. You cannot be anywhere else. Otherwise, you're not going to get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it also teaches you a lot of other uh, life skills and it teaches you how to focus, be there, be disciplined, listen to the music, listening, which we all need to do a lot more. So mm-hmm. I totally uh, advocate dance because it has changed my life. Yeah. Wow. And mine too. Yeah. And mine too. In some ways. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure having you on our show. Thank you, Jessica, and thank you, Clara. And it was such an amazing chat, and I learned a little bit from you guys too. Thank you for having me here today. Great. Thanks. Thanks.